Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Today we have Welcome a to Life With Your Dog podcast. All the way from Ottawa. Our focus is educating Murdoch, dog owners, and course, enthusiasts, and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, today. manage, you, and thrive with our dogs. I'm great, how are you? To teach dogs to Very live good, in our society you. while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. And I'm your host, Kenny Nostal, and I'm your co-host, Thank you for joining us. We've made it, and we're really, really happy that you're here. How you been? Oh, very good, very good. Um, yeah, it's been a struggle, you know, with the time change and all that, but here we are. It worked out. We're, so, we're, we're getting after it. Yes, finally. It has been a while. And someone, you were getting married. Someone was getting married. Oh, I was I getting married. That, yeah, was. that was you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So we had a few logistical um, things to overcome, but here we are. Anyway, tell us a little bit about yourself. So you're, you're over there in Ottawa, Canada, right? Tell us a little bit about your, your backstory in terms of dogs and, and how you got into things and, and your business as well. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I'm in Ottawa, Canada, which is the capital of Canada. And uh, it was nine years ago uh, that I started my business, Walk With Me Ottawa. Uh, before that, I uh, I'd graduated from university. I'd taken communications and I was just working like a bunch of different jobs, you know, trying to figure it out, I guess. Um I was working in real estate and I was working in um, retail and a doggy daycare. And that was actually where I sort of it started this journey, I guess, because um, I was working at this doggy daycare on Saturdays. And I'd, I'd grown up with animals. I'd always wanted to, you know, like be a vet or be involved with animals in some way. I was into horses and dogs and all that stuff. And uh, but being a vet was just like not for me, just due to like blood and stuff. um so I uh, was working at the value daycare and then I also had met my my now my now husband who was my boyfriend at the time and they had a family dog who was um he was like very reactive to things you know kind of that typical story but it was more just like lack of exposure like he didn't really get out much um and so I started you know like I was working at this daycare and I started um taking this dog George to like like basically walking in the woods you know like off leash hiking and he he changed so much like he got so much better just by like actually being out in nature being around other dogs kind of um and when we talk about like dog parks here they're not necessarily like we do have like the bad dog parks but we also have dog parks they're just like huge like expanses of space um so they're not you're just like walking in nature and there happens to be like other dogs you mean bad around. dog parks, like the enclosed dog parks with the fence around? Like really small, yeah. like, yeah, postage stamp type dog parks. UFC like for dogs. Very, very small. <laughs> exactly. Like, so when I say dog park, I mean not that so much and more, you know, these big pieces of property. That's awesome. Um, that are like hundreds of acres. Yeah. And so that's kind of what we started with was just like walking there. And I decided just kind of like out of the blue that I wanted to start a dog walking business, like off-leash dog walking business. And I... I just wanted to be like the biggest and the best in the city. That was kind of like right away my thing. And so I literally, I was working this job at the time in a warehouse, uh, like an office of a warehouse. And it was like, there was no air conditioning and I was doing like data entry and it was terrible. I was getting like ocular migraines. I was going crazy. It was just for the summer, but it was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I quit my job. Like gave my two weeks notice. I made business cards and I made a website. And the website, like you get two two weeks free or whatever it was, right? So I was like, I'm going to make a website and then I'm going to launch it. And so that's what I did. And then, uh, you know, I remember, I still remember like that first like 
you know, couple days where you're just like waiting for clients. You're just like, oh, they come. They're going to call. They yeah. Nice. And then I remember, I still remember getting like my first email. Um, and then basically just grew from there. I, you know, like a month later ish, I had to hire someone to help take over um, some of the walks. And then just, you know, kept going from there. Like every couple of months, I was hiring more and more people, growing the service. Um, and then, you know, within, I think, I can't remember exact timelines, to be honest, it's a bit of a blur because <laughs> it's been nine years, but a few years in, then I started actually like offering training uh, more seriously because for a long time, I was sort of, um, I just like felt like I wasn't a trainer, you know, I didn't want to like step on other people's toes because I was friends with people who were trainers in the city. And so I was like going to workshops though and attending things and all these people were like, you're a trainer, like you're training dogs, you're, you're doing it. I just wasn't like actually paying or being paid to train dogs. No. Um, and then I just started doing it basically. And then it's grown from there. And now I have multiple trainers and we have an apprenticeship program. And then I started a PSA club and that's been crazy. And here we are. Wow. <laughs> and that dog, that dog, George, he's still alive uh for the next week actually he will be he's actually being euthanized this week sadly but oh, he's 15 and a half and uh it's just time for him i'm sorry to hear what a journey it's been and that he put you on as well which is pretty amazing what breed is he he's a standard schnauzer yeah nice is that the yeah. dog on the on your website i was looking at before is that him well i have four so I, he's gray he looks oh. like an old man okay yeah there's a there's a there's a few dogs on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a, a, a standard a giant schnauzer. Is it the standard schnauzer and a giant schnauzer? How do they differ? Are they are they not the same thing? Yeah, correct. So there's a miniature schnauzer, a standard mm -hmm. schnauzer, and a giant schnauzer, and it's not the same as with poodles. Where oh, in okay. poodles, they're all meant to be like the same breed, just different sizes. The three schnauzers are very different. Um, there's similarities, but like a miniature schnauzer is very, very different. Totally. Um, and then a giant schnauzer. A giant and standard, I find, are more similar. The standard was the original breed. So they bred up and they bred down from the standard. Well, um, just st how big is a standard? Um, cricket. So my female is here. I don't know if you can okay. see her. Yeah, yeah I can like see her. She's 30 pounds. She's 30 pounds. They're like 30 to 40 pounds. She's really small. She's on well, the small end. That's like 12, 12 kilos. Yeah, I was gonna say, what's thirty oh, pounds? Yeah, right. yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, like. I thought Canadians use the metric system. Yeah, we're. I don't know. <laughs> All over the shop. <laughs> Pretty yeah, sure you're in the Commonwealth. <laughs> no, I even heard someone from the UK refer to pounds. I'm like, I'm really confused here. I thought mm -hmm. we were like, yeah, what's going get, on? Here? I always get yelled at about this by Australians. They're like, yeah. why are you using pounds? I, was like, I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were one of I us. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, okay, sorry. The okay. giant snails is big. So, it's not like when you say standard poodle, standard poodles are big. When you say correct, standard exactly. snails, we're talking the giant schnauzer. Schnauzer. Okay. Yeah, exactly. The, like, they're kind of like Australian shepherd size. Like, yeah. Kind of, they're a medium breed. Um, and then a, a, a mini is like quite small, you know. Can you tell like, us some characteristic, the differences <laughs> of the standard snails and the giant snails? Because, like, I, I've seen a small mm -hmm. handful of giant snails, not heaps of them. Um, so it's not that that common in Australia, but um, but I'm I'm keen to know, and I'm sure people that are listening are. Mm -hmm, yeah, for sure. So again, this is just kind of I have a small sample size. Obviously, uh, I don't work with it. Well, I probably work with more of them than most people, but they're they're not very common either breed. Um, the standard schnauzer I find is more rare, although getting much more popular. I find that the difference between them 
I find uh, Daniel Schnauzer is much more like independent and aloof uh, and much more serious than a, a, a giant Schnauzer. Giant Schnauzers are like very goofy, very affectionate. Um, they're, they're very high energy. <laughs> uh, like they're, they're really up there with Malinois. Like people don't know, don't realize it, but like they have a ton of energy and they yeah, need well. to like run. They really need to like physically exert themselves while, and also mentally stimulate. Whereas I find standard schnauzers are just like crazy, crazy smart and they need to work their brain. And they do say that about the breed that they're like the dog with the human brain. Um, and they're, 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 I don't recommend Spanish schnauzers ever for like family pets ever, ever. They're, they're very prone to like human reactivity, dog reactivity. Like it's just who they are. Um, there's obviously exceptions, but they're just like, they're not going to be good at dog parks ever. They're generally not good with people coming into the house, like at all. They're very nervy. Um, and not like poorly bred nervy. They're just, that's kind of like who they are. They're meant to be kind of like this all around farm dog. They're guardy. They hunt things. Like they, they want to kill things. Mm. They're also very like bark, you know, like they, they're a unique breed. Um, uh, but wasn't the, the giant snails originally like a protection dog? Yeah. So giant snails are same thing. Like they were actually, they would like um, guard like the, the carts, like the farm carts. Um, and they would also herd cattle. Uh, and then they also were prote- like they were protection dog and they would also like draft, like, you know, pull, pull carts yeah. and then guard the carts and then also herd stuff. So they were again, like an all around farm dog. That's um, awesome. so they didn't, they didn't really fit into any one category. And that's what people think they're, oh, they're terriers, but like, they're not just terriers. You know, they have other qualities as well. Like I've taken mine herding my standard schnauzers, actually they've gone herding. Um, but, and then she kills, she kills things. Like she's a murderer. Whereas Toro, mm. my giant schnauzer, he's much more like sweet and <laughs> just wants to be friends with everything. That's interesting. And when we say standard, you say so originally, and it's hard to say original because like all dogs came from some wild thing, but this, they, they always had the standard and then they thought, let's make them bigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know when that sure. happened? Yeah. I don't know when it happened. No, mm. I could look it up. We could fact check, but uh, we can do that. Um, I just thought it'd be, it'd be interesting to say, let's make them bigger so they can be more functional. Cause maybe they were first mm-hmm. to be exactly. a terrier. And then now we're like, no, they have the good characteristics. Maybe we'll put a bit of whatever in them to make them bigger, have the same characteristics, but do the same thing for bigger animals and bigger objects. Cool. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it says like developed in the 17th century. There you go. When they were developed and they put in like, um, I don't even remember. I know they put like a Bouvier's Great Dane uh, and then like the German Pinscher. So German Pinschers were originally like standard schnauzers. They were like between like smooth coat and a wire coat. And then they split off like German Pinscher and standard schnauzer are like kind of the same. They originated as the same thing. Cool um, stuff. There you go. Yeah. I love that shit. That's yeah. really, really cool. So, um, all right. So there was a few things that I want to ask you. Really cool backstory and how you, how you come about. The th- and I was watching like over the last couple of days, just um, watching what you do and you offer a bunch of stuff and there's so much stuff going on um, in your world. Um, let us know what, like what is um, business as usual over the last, you know, I- within this year, what, what are you, what are you, um, what service are you offering and how many people are working for you and how, how much are you covering of, of your, of your area? Have you become yeah, the biggest okay. so- that, that your original ambition <laughs> Yeah, you was? wanted to be the biggest, right? It, was, it seems it seems to me from you've pretty much achieved that. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, yeah, we're definitely the biggest in the city, just in terms of like volume for sure. Um, 
I don't even know how many people we have right now. You know, between 15 and 20. Um, it's just always kind of, it's flux. Like sometimes we're growing, sometimes we're losing people. Like right now we're in this stage right now where we just lost two people and we're gaining like a few more. So I'm not sure where the exact number, but between 15 and 20. Um, and then we have, we have six trainers right now and then, um, a bunch of dog walkers. So our main service is our off-leash group hikes and we own uh, private land. So we, we bought 46 acres and we fully fence, um, that's so cool. That's I don't know what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. We know what acres. It's big. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we have that, and that's where we do all of our off-leash walking. So we're not doing dog park stuff. Um. So it is private and all that. It's nice. Uh. And then also training is also huge. Um. And that's really grown in the last couple of years, more so. Like with COVID, I mean, it was already big, but when COVID hit, our our boarding went way down. Our walking obviously was shut down for a little bit, and then training just went like crazy because everyone went and got dogs yeah. or puppies or more dogs. Um, and How now far is your big having... property? Sorry to cut you off. Compare like to oh, where like, you're picking pe- like people. Okay. So it's like five minutes from my house. So that's irrelevant. <laughs> um, in terms of like the service area. So Ottawa is basically like we have East center and West. We are in the West end. Like that's where the land is, but we do service like basically all of Ottawa. We just don't go like far East. Um, cause it's, it would be too far to go to the land. Um, but I would say like 30 to 45 minutes, give or take, um, 20, 20 to 40 minutes is probably like the distance of driving, um, from like the last pickup. So with the, the group walks, how it works is basically our walker goes, they pick up all their dogs in there. It's all by region. So they all have like a service area and then they pick them up and then they bring them to the land and then hike them for an hour and then bring them all home again. That's so cool. What a mad setup you got. You've, you've, you've pulled it off. And to have six trainers and up to 15 staff altogether, just managing that in and of its own is impressive because, you know, we we're I don't know how it is in Canada, but in, um, in Australia, from my observation, is that when, you're like, when it comes to employees, there's such a high turnover. People are in, people are out. and It's just mm-hmm. and you want to kind of keep that quality and have the people. But mm-hmm. how long is it, like the longest serving um, employee you've had? Um, we're up to like, yeah, we have like an eight year, ah, that's awesome. someone who's been there like the, almost the whole time. What a um, boss. It, it's not, not as much like there's I think three of them. Cool. Um, and then most of them are a couple years. They usually last a couple years. There's some ex- exceptions to that. Maybe like, you know, the shit happens. People move away. Sure. Sometimes like life happens. Life. Um, but you're doing the but, right things yeah, to be able to retain people for that long and to keep that kind of your community and to keep your, your essence of what you're doing. And obviously, for, for without sure. people to have to go off and do their own thing, they're, they're committed to what you're doing. So, um, obviously, sure. your and passion. And that happens. Don't get me wrong. It does happen. But the culture is super important to me, I find. And, like, it, it, it honestly, it takes, like, one bad apple. You know, like, they say that. And it's true. Like, you you have to be very careful about who you have in and how things are running. And, like, like one bad apple can, like, spoil the bunch. Like, that does happen. Um, luckily, like, we're in a good place now. But people still do they do leave. They think that they can make it on their own better. You, I mean, from experience, like that doesn't ever work for them. Um, I've been in this nine years and it's, it, you know, never seems to work out, but you know, you're a gangster uh, when you can say that. <laughs> I mean, it's just people think like, Oh, well, like I'll make more money that way. And it's like, well, the overheads, you know, buy, you an, will, buy a property, more expenses, more <laughs> responsibility, like all this stuff, yeah. you know, like you have to have your own insurance now. Like there's just so many things people don't think about. Totally. So, um, 
anyway, that's just like business ownership and it is what it. it is, but yeah. How do you, then, how like, do you make sure running. that the, how do you make sure that the dogs are all cool to be, you know, hanging out with each other in these big pack walks? Like, is that, what's your process for that? Yeah. So, so everyone, like the client will basically email us. We have a bunch of questions in that initial contact and we're very like, my business is run very like systematically. Like people can't call me on the phone. Like you have to send an email through the website. So all the questions are there because like just the way it functions when we have 15 people, I can't be like screening everything like that. Like, Oh, you have to like, can you check this? It's just like, you have to email through the website there where we have all the info there. Um, so they've answered a few questions already. So we have an idea of like what they want and what their dog is like. You know, it's like, how is your dog? Off? Like, do you take your dog off leash? Is your dog crate trained? Is How are they with other dogs? Just like a brief overview. And then from there, if anything is weird, we might ask some more questions. Um, but otherwise, we'll, we'll send it off to a walker. Like, do you want this client? And then they say yes or no. If they say yes, then they go meet with the client. The client also has to then fill out like more paperwork. That's much more expensive. And then the walker meets with them. And then we take them basically. And that's it. And then, you know, there's certain things that we'll do. If, um, to, to introduce them, but honestly, they're most people who are asking for the service or their dogs are like already kind of doing this with them. Like they're taking them off leash. They're interacting with other dogs. Like most of our clientele are kind of like golden doodles and just like, you know, it's, it's not Pretty cool um, dogs. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. We do take problem dogs or problem. I shouldn't say that, but like we do take dogs that have more issues for sure. And like we have one walker, her whole pack is like kind of these like, reactive-ish dogs but like she handles it super well she knows what she's doing they all like get along well um there's never an issue you know sometimes we're having to muzzle dogs in the car or um we also have a lot of dogs who are like training clients so a lot of them are on e-collar or whatever uh but it's not it's not really as big of an issue as people think <laughs> that it might be it's so cool i love that and um you do board and train as well. So where like the dogs stay on that property that you're at, or is it, do you have other people looking after okay, the so dogs? We do, we do in-home boarding, which is just regular boarding, which is in our like walkers homes, basically. So it's all in our house. We don't stay in other people's houses. They, the dogs come to us. Um, and that's just, it's a very like personalized service. You know, we're taking like one to three dogs at a time, basically. Um, and they're just, you know, they're living in our house like our dogs, but with like, they have to be crate trained. Like there's obviously, um, requirements there uh and then we also yeah we do training um and no so it's not at the, it's not at the land we are building a facility it'll be a training facility but not a kennel like it will not be a kennel i have no interest in having a kennel um although the region is really lacking in having like a, a kennel that would be good for like working dogs stuff like that so it's something that like maybe in the future sure. um but for now i'm mostly just doing home boarding like i have like four malinois right now in my house um, and are they for people that are gone on holidays or you're there specifically to train them as well? So we do both. So that's just our boarding service. And then we also have our training service. And so we either do board and train or we'll do private lessons in home. And we also have group classes. So we kind of have all our bases covered there. But board and train, yeah, it's all in our home still. Um, living with us like our dogs would be. Uh, just also getting training. What is it about a kennel that is not, not interest, that doesn't interest you to right? have that? Yeah. I mean, it might one day, it's just like the staffing, truthfully, like having to have people there overnight, all the um, like permitting stuff. Uh, it's just not something that I want really. Yeah. Um, the, ju like, the juice like, isn't Glenn worth the squeeze kind of thing. 
yeah, I don't think so. There's just so many problems with it. And like daycare, I'm not interested in daycare. I just want to like train dogs. Like they come, they leave. Like, yeah, it's I agree. <laughs> um, I like that. that works better for me. Um, and like I said, the in-home boarding is nice because you can kind of take like one or two, three dogs at a time. And it's much more like customized. Um, I just, yeah, I'm just not really like into kennels, I guess. I wouldn't want like my dogs at a kennel. Like not that there's, there's good kennels, of course. Like Glenn's kennels are amazing. Um, mm. But Glenn is the overnight supervisor. You know what I mean? I, exactly. Because <laughs> he lives on site. It's yeah. not for me. But it's still exactly. a different type of stress compared to going to someone's house. It's like, oh, I'm in my crate now. I'm in a house where... The, the kennel could be the best of the world, but it's like, I'm in a kennel, it's like dogs exactly. next to me. I'm like, like where am I? What is this? So weird, echoey room. Sure. And I think there's yeah. a need for that for some dogs, for sure. Like, again, totally. I think working dogs, mm-hmm. like certain sport dogs, like, and I've talked to people about this, like other sport handlers, like there's a lack of that in our whole province, basically. Um, it's really tricky because like, yeah, you don't necessarily want to trust like the average Joe with yeah. your dog. Um, and that's where like I come in because I'm kind of like, yeah, like that's what I said. I have like four Malinois in my house right now, mm-hmm. um, but I can't. I can't do it all. I can't take everyone's dogs, um, and it, it's hard to like even dealing. Like we don't do a lot of aggressive dogs, um, just because like when they are in your house, it's like mm-hmm. not as easy. Like I think that's where kennels are really good. You know, if you have a dog who like can't really be handled by people, like that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, but having to like take them in a crate and bring them outside to my yard and my husband's home or people, some people have kids, like stuff like that. It's just like, it's not, uh, it's not the right setup for that. I sent, I sent shadow to the, to Glenn's place when we went on our honeymoon. And, um, when he, when we got married, I sent him up there as well. And I put him in private, boarding and mm-hmm. i don't know whether it was that or whether it was just the first time he'd ever been kenneled he didn't seem to enjoy it too much like when we picked him up he was a bit like off but the second time i put him in shared boarding and um that was for like two weeks and like i don't think he wanted to come home <laughs> oh wow nice who's that luke bloke i don't go back there <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's, he's a very That's social too, like- he's a very very social dog part of me wonders right. if putting him in private boarding the first time was a mistake because he could right. hear and maybe no, not, maybe not yeah. yeah you know what i mean anyway who who knows but like he, he enjoyed himself mm. the second time he made yeah, a lot of friends yeah that's yeah. the thing like for me like my whole business is very much about even the walking service is very much like i want the dogs to like go home better than that we pick them up you know like we're enforcing manners we've always been like that like we're not allowing like humping jumping barking like we're we're always actively you know I don't want to, it's not training, but we're, you know, making sure that they're behaving and they're improving their behavior when they're with us. Like we don't want them just like running wild and being crazy. Like, of course they can have fun and run wild, but they're not, um, yeah, just like their manners. Everything's being forced. We enforce thresholds, like calm in the car, sure. like all this stuff. And all the, I mean, there's a reason for that is because like we need that in order to do what we do. Um, they you have do it be, anyway, like, even you know, if you found controlled. that. If you found that dog on the side of the street and had to put him in your car, you would do it in the way that you do it with any other dog or even make in the same way exactly. of you would do it with your own dog. It's just this is like it's hard for me to not hold the lead in the right way and have and do the tech. Right, right, right. I can find a dog and it's happened exactly. where I found a random Labrador in the middle of our puppy class. Me, we're walking down along the beach and this random dog comes up to me and I'm asking everyone, is this your dog? No lead, no collar. So I quickly whacked him on. Um, Spades is 
um, Martingale and I just walked and I called the Rangers. They're like, oh, yeah, we're 45 minutes away. I'm like, what the hell? So the dog joined us on the walk. It's, it was clear that he'd never been on a collar before because as soon as I put the Martingale oh, in wow. the correct position, he just starts jumping around. But I'm not training the dog. I just need to manage him while I'm teaching. Well, yeah, look, yeah. there's a dog jumping around here. Get your puppy to focus on you. Do the <laughs> stuff. So let's make this a training opportunity. I'm not even joking. Within five minutes, the dog was walking nicely, calmly. But that only worked because while I'm talking, my hands and sure. my we yeah, just we just do sure. the thing on autopilot. You don't think about it. And the benefit of when dogs used to stay here, we used to do dog minding. That would go back better, not because I and I never ever ever said I would train the dog while the dog was here because sure. I'm not training the dog. Exactly. We're looking after him, making sure he's safe. But exactly. naturally, you're going to walk with me with six other dogs. You're going to walk nicely because I'm not going to have six dogs pulling me. Mm-hmm. So exactly. And that's because if I'm looking after the dog for a week, then after a day or two, the dog gets into the flow. And most of the dogs were ex dog training clients anyway. So the dog knew the thing Mm -hmm. and they'd always go back calmer and relax because that's the only thing that you would do. And that's a good thing about not having such a cookie cutter sort of process where, look, you just chuck the dog there, bring him back. Yeah. He's safe. We fed him. It's like, no, no, we're, we're following routines and structure so that every time we we take your dog, dog. (laughs) exactly. And the dog goes, and then that dog becomes the dog that helps the next dog come. And then if you do that, you're never really having to do anything because the dogs are already influencing the others and you've got a good momentum. That's cool. I exactly. love that. When would you say to someone, they call up and go, I want my dog to be bored and trained by you. And where's the line to be drawn where you say, no, actually, I think we need to fix you and your behavior towards your dog compared to your dog has an issue that needs to be trained. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with board and train, we don't do a ton of board and train. Like we do them. Uh, mm-hmm. We typically always have, like I, I'm not doing very much anymore. I have one coming tomorrow. And this is an example. Um, I did do lessons with this client. Um, like from the time he was a puppy, basically he was a Malinois, amazing client, like amazing, does everything above and beyond. Like one of those owners that is just like completely above average, you know, always training, always doing stuff. But we boarded him. Uh, one of my apprentices boarded him and he was like very bad with her husband and her dog, which is something that the owner wasn't really aware of. Um, and so, because like she basically just like raised him herself uh, and her husband was like, whatever, he was away, he's, he's back now. Um, and so I think she was just like, oh, I didn't even know my dog really like was like this. Yeah, he, he matured too, right? Like now I think he's probably around two. Um, so like two-year-old Malinois. And so he's coming to me just for, I don't ever do two-week boarding trains ever. Like all our boarding trains are like three to six weeks basically. But I was like, you know what? I know this dog. I know all the training he has. Like he's fully trained. I just want to bring him in and see what we can do about this like reactivity stuff. So that's an example of where it's like, I need to like be with the dog and see the dog to like see the problem and then sure. know how to fix it. Um, and it's usually so, like, after you've like done that. some one-on-ones, right? Usually. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we also have a hybrid program where we'll do like four lessons with the client and then we'll do a board and train. Um, but yeah, just like things that where it's like, you know, the dog like just really needs to be integrated into our life for us to make changes is when we want to do a board and train. But like most of the time, if a client is like, oh, I want my dog to, you know, whatever, like walk on leash better or just like be better in the house. It's like, that's where we need to teach you sure. how to like manage and train your dog. Um, and like puppies, like we will not take a puppy board and train. It's only Perfect. private training. Um, we don't take a board and train until at least six months. Ideally, they're like eight to 10 months minimum um just because like you're not training anything to a 
puppy. Like it's going to waste of money. In my opinion, like of course, it's sure. not going to be anything that stays. Like I can lay foundations, but people have unrealistic expectations of what they can get in a two week puppy boarding train. They're like, Oh, he's going to no recall. He's going to have leash walking. Yeah. And we thought this is impossible. Exactly. Like, so and it's a kind of, I'm not a fan. unless you have to look after the dog, right? Like the puppy, so something mm-hmm. came up. I got to go mm-hmm. visit my family. He's 10 weeks old. Oh my God. I feel so bad. But then I'm just like, like, it's boarding. Cool. We're boarding and then he may come back with some skills because I teach it to him anyway, but we're not selling it for that. Um, (laughs) I like that. We charge more for puppy boarding. Yeah, exactly. You say you should. Um, With um, (laughs) the reason why I ask these questions is someone listening could be thinking, well, I want my dog to be trained. I was going to send him over to someone that will do the training and bring him back. And we all know like that just makes us pull our hair out. Ah, ah, What are you talking about? Um, For me, I, usually send a dog to board and train after we've exhausted training. Look, normally we do like three sessions, four sessions. If the dog's Mm -hmm. a bit difficult, if we're entering five sessions, it's like, look, you, we don't look, I grab the lead. The dog doesn't do nothing. Like Mm -hmm. suppress when I'm holding the dog, the dog knows what to do, but your skills, like the person skills may be there. There still may be some reactivity. Now in these moments, Mm -hmm. this is where the cross section is where, how much do I have to keep trying to educate you on how to hand, handle the lead, give the dog the experience? Now, some people are just an ordinary person with a Kelpie. The dog's out of control when it sees dogs overexcited or whatever. The dog may understand when I'm holding the lead, which then gives me the gauge where, well, the dog knows what to do in this context. When the lead goes back to you, doesn't understand in this context. Now, with this one client, I said, look, you've done everything correct. You haven't done anything wrong, but let's, but the dog has this like massive anxiety issue with other dogs. What could work in this case, we've exhausted as much of training as I think we could. Let's send him away to to pet resorts. In this case, it was. She spent about two or three weeks, maybe three weeks there working on, you know, all the things that need to be worked on. She did the, and the good thing about how we train is that we all kind of train very much the same. We all learn from the same sort of criteria. So then when, um, when my client went back to pick up the dog, they did the crossover, came back to group class and was like, oh my gosh, look what's happened. And the dog got a massive jump start to go, look, dogs aren't a problem. For the last three weeks, mm-hmm. I've been I've been exposed to them so much in this sort of controlled environment. And then and then yeah. the techniques that we had to have, we were already doing are consistent with the trainers that are working at pet resorts. Same thing that the owner's yeah. doing. And then that's where the information was e- easier to transferred to the dog and now there's look there may be a reaction here and there but it's night and day compared to and that's how the board and train worked really well compared to sending them straight off the bat there with that understanding exactly um, exactly yeah and, and that's what i like about it that gives them a head start um sometimes like or not a head start that's not the right words but just like a foundation we like board and train for for either foundation but also for like just tuning things up just like mm-hmm. putting that like finishing touch on yeah. it as well it can be really nice because the dog, because some dogs do have an issue that need to be fixed, and some, and most of the time, maybe eighty percent, if I can pull out a number out of nowhere, it's the owner that needs to work on the communication skills to the totally. dog. Right? We know that that's where we need to fix yeah. you. But there's that twenty percent, for example, that's like, mm, I think the dog would benefit having better experiences and knowing what to do, so that we don't have to exactly have so much struggle through the lead. I like that answer. Exactly. I think that's exactly. good for people that are listening. That if you're not sure, you need to do the board and train. Um, exhaust your options first because you need to learn the skills before you send your dog away mm-hmm. for them to be fixed like there's some product. Um, yeah, but then exactly. that doesn't take away from board and train. It just means that it should be not the first go-to. It should be something that you, you've worked on before. Um, yeah, exactly. Like and even with board and train, like when we do a board and train, like we're super clear with the client, like this isn't over. Like you need to then 
Like we're going to do this stuff with the dog. And then when your dog comes home, you need to then do all that same stuff with the dog. And then like, eventually you're going to like fade away from that. But, um, I like, like they have to set it up like their own board and train in their own house right away when the dog gets home. And we make sure that's super clear to them. Cause we do get people who are just like, Oh, I want my dog board and train. I'm going away for a week. And it's like, well, no, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, you need to be like fully committed. There has to be like a reason that you need this. Um, and then we do get people who are like, Oh, I'm just too busy to train. And like, Sometimes that's a red flag and sometimes it's not like, sometimes it's true. It's like, you know, these people got a dog. They want it to be a good companion. They're, they're motivated. Um, they just like don't have time to actually do the reps and that's, that's okay. Um, but trying to like read between the lines mm. on those people can be challenging. <laughs> that is a challenge. Just waiting out people who are just lazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. They are out there. Exactly. So true. Yeah, definitely. Oh Yeah. And you do lots of group classes. So what I saw that you offer different group classes, different days in different areas to cater to many different people. Um, tell us a little bit about your group classes. But one thing that caught my attention was you have a recall class. And I would like to know a little bit about that. Um, what mm-hmm. do you, what do you so, like? It's pretty obvious, but also like one whole class just on recall or is it other things involved as well? So the classes are actually, they're run by two of my trainers. So they're they're fully like their it's their project like mm-hmm. they came to me and said hey we want to run this class um so it's been like in the works uh so the walk and learn is very much like tailored to like reactivity and stuff like that it's it's like a socialization class sort of where it's, and it's uh it's not meant to be like a six-week package where you're like building on your skills it's meant to be more like people drop in to like get that extra exposure or experience that they need with the help of the trainer um, at a more affordable price. A lot of our existing clients will go just to like tune things up. The recall class is is newer. And like I said, like I'm not actually doing the class, so I can't like speak too much to it. But again, it's, it's just like a, a one-time class, basically like talking about, you know, like existential feeding markers, using long lines, how to like get your dog engaged with you and recalling. And that's pretty much, Perfect. you know, kind of how it goes. How do people, yeah. how then, do people, um, um take on the the idea of existential feeding in your experience oh, are they open to it uh usually usually people are open to it it's not usually a big problem although i am truthfully running into more problems lately and i'm finding i'm running into so many more dogs lately that have no food drive that i've never had before like i've never know because they know before. it's going to turn up twice a day in a bowl for free <sighs> yeah and like people tell you what you want to hear you know they're like oh no i'm, I'm doing it i didn't feel but it's like, obviously you did. Because yeah. if I took this dog in my house, in two days, it would have great food drive. Yeah. Like, I would offer food. This is all I'd get. And like, it just, I never used to have a problem with it. And lately, I find it's been more of a struggle. Um, and just, I, I mean, specifically more with like the dogs themselves, I find are like way less food driven. But I'm sure that comes from the humans. Like, it's all tied together. Do you together. say it's more of a problem because you've adopted it more recently? Or is it literally... No, no, I've, I've had this the whole time. It's yeah. been my system the whole time. I don't know okay. what it is lately. I just feel like mm. all of my trainers and myself are running into more problems with it. Like people either not wanting to do it or the dogs just really having really, really terrible food drive. And again, what like, do they actually have terrible food drive or they, is they just not following the system properly, you know? Yeah. And that's where sometimes again, like board and train maybe, right? Let's see. Um, but that's only if they're having serious problems. And I would say probably there's a pattern with people who aren't willing to do it are the ones who aren't having big, serious problems, right? They don't see it as that necessary. I'm going to get a trainer because that's what I need to do. Right. Like, which you sort of touched on before we started recording was like, you know, do they actually like, 
need training or are they just like, oh, I'm supposed to get a dog trainer? Yeah. And maybe that kind of then tethers to, well, we got really busy through COVID because more people got dogs. People that had dogs before really wanted dogs. Maybe people after COVID thought Mm -hmm. they should have a dog. And then with that comes the the integrity and the intention of their training. It's like, ah, I got the dog. Like, who cares? Can't you fix him? Yeah. Compared to maybe before COVID was like there was a bit more, no, no, I'm searching searching this out. I'm going to do a problem and do it like this. So maybe that could coincide. And I'm having I'm having a crazy influx of people rehoming their dogs right now. Mm. What's do you what do you think is causing that? Is this the tail end of people who got dogs so during like COVID? Yeah. yeah. Two years in, they're like, fuck this. No. <laughs> yeah, I didn't sign up for I can't go this. traveling anymore. Yeah. And like people cannot get services for their dogs because there's too many of them. So mm-hmm. people can't get vet appointments. We can't have emergency vet services. We can't board our dogs because everyone's full. So now everyone's just like, I don't want a dog anymore. Or uh, I mean, of course, there's you know obviously. exceptions to that. But I'm having a huge influx of rehoming. And I, I don't want to say like they don't want their dog anymore. Of course, there's many people who just like it was the right decision for them and their dog. Yes. That's fine. But um, it's been a crazy influx. Like I crazy. say this to clients all the time. Like sometimes I see, you know, session two or session three. And I'm like, look, I'm just putting this out there. And I don't want to be like the Debbie Downer pessimist or anything. But I'm like, look. Um, if this doesn't work out, this dog is not suited for your house and mm-hmm. your lifestyle and your children and X, Y, and Z, whatever, sure. whatever. Let's be on the same page. Say that if you need to rehome your dog, I'm, I can support mm-hmm. you in that. I'm not the trainer that says, oh, my God, I can't believe you. What have you done? Totally. Now, obviously, sometimes you're going to have that reaction. It's like you made this big deal by getting this dog and then, you know, whatever, whatever. There's certain situations. But I say to people, let's be upfront and open. Don't do anything behind my back yeah. because you think I'm going to be upset because we're in this for the dog. And there are situations where the dog needs to be rehomed just so he can have a decent life suited to his totally. needs. And it doesn't even mean that that person shouldn't even have a dog. They probably shouldn't have a Malinois or a German Shepherd or a Doberman. <laughs> Maybe they needed, yeah. you know, a little Cavalier that was cute and cuddly and totally and go that totally. way. So, but yeah. then off. Yeah. Recently I had that. I actually, I took in a, a border collie for a board and train. I had board and trained their previous dog and uh, brought this dog in. He was having like submissive peeing issues and, um, and just like confidence issues and stuff. And, so I brought him in and right away I was like, this dog does not belong in this home. Mm. And I told them, I told them and they were all for it. Like they were, you know, they were like, yeah, you're right. We agree. Um, and so I rehomed him and like, he was a working line border collie, like living in the suburbs. Like he really needed like a different home, like a sport home. And they knew that. And they were, you know, so we rehomed him. He went to one of my trainers and now he's like living his best life. He's hurting. He's like playing, he's doing agility, like all the best things. Right? Happy dog. Um, exactly and so it was like that was a really good example of that and then like you know we do get other people who just like yeah there's maybe reasons like maybe they had children i get that a lot actually where the dog is like now not going to be good around children and like that's a good reason to have to rehome your dog uh, if you're gonna have to and you know they've either done training or uh you know whatever it just doesn't work for their lifestyle Mm. so rehoming those but that's tricky because a lot of people have kids (laughs) It's it's very hard to rehome those ones um but yeah, I forget where I was going with that. No, point, look, but. so I think I've met, I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but hear me out because it's like a, it's a thought that's still in, you know, I'm still trying to mull it over to see how accurate it is. But a thing that I have observed, especially as being a parent myself, is that you have this transition of the couple that have moved out after they're about to get the dog, mm-hmm. you know, li- living the, 
the um, living the dream, living the life. Dogs, you know, out of control because they're treating like a little human. And then they get a baby, <laughs> like a real human baby. They get one from somewhere. And, um, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then the cha- first of all, two things happen. They kick into drive and they're like, this dog needs to be treated like a dog because he's not a bloody human. So then right. they, they, get baby, onto, yeah. they get on track and then the dog's awesome. Or they're like, oh, the dog that used to sleep on my bed and used to guard the bed, do this, do that. Now he lives outside and we hardly walk him because we've got the real thing now. We've got like a baby. Why do I need to fulfill my maternal and paternal instincts to this animal where now <laughs> I've got the real thing? Now it's time to, to like not put the energy into the dog and, you know, and I think I think there's something there, like a biological that, yeah. instinct, right? That what story is, that? is everywhere in suburbia, unfortunately, yeah. and, and it sucks. It's bad. It's like, so I had this one client, and I, I may have used this example before, a little chihuahua, chihuahua, right, um, was like completely out of control, like ah, you, everything a chihuahua would do, right, aggression, whatever. And the way that the lady literally interacted with the dog was literally like she was holding a little newborn child and everything's like, I can't do this. I can't do that. What do you mean? And, but the dog would bite her too. Right. So, um, it was like a breakdown in relationship because she's, she's imposing, um, you know, a mummy stage, a mummy sort of influence the dog rather than just being a dog owner. And, um, and the dog would be like, I mean, I'm like, let the dog spend some time outside. You're pregnant. Baby's coming. Blah, blah, blah. Let's get this transition. Cause she was worried that the dog was going to bite the child. And then anyway, so we did a lot of work and we we're getting there. Loosely walking was happening. There was less aggression. Dog knew its place and the, there was no dramas with dog and baby. But then they go, hey, let's catch up. Eight months later, baby's now like eight months old. The, the dog's outside and and I'm like, oh, nice. The dog's spending some time outside. She's like, oh, the dog hasn't come in in like four weeks. And I'm like, why? And she's like, oh, you know, like whatever sort of thing. I'm like, you made such a big deal about letting him outside for 20 minutes so you can like wash the floor or like go have a shower or just give the dog. And now because you got your real baby and, and, and she basically said it, she goes, I don't know, like I just don't feel the same anymore. And I'm like, this is so sad. And then she said, oh, I was thinking of getting another dog or a cat, I think. And I'm like, why? And she goes, oh, you know, just for Lee, I want to spoil him. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to like freak out here, like in so many different ways. Anyway, so I laid it out to her in a respectful way. I was pretty like mad at her because of like she didn't get my message, but maybe that's my problem that I yeah. wasn't conveying it properly. But I just I saw that and I went back and I thought that was really interesting. And maybe there is a thing to that. We're in lockdown. We have a lot of there. Then we get the kid and blah, blah, blah. It's like now what do we do with all these leftover dogs? Um it's crazy stuff. We thought that we did a good thing now that the shelters were empty for the last two years. Maybe they're going to start filling back up they're, again. They are. They're filling up, man. Like, and maybe we're behind a little bit, so maybe we're going to see something. Because like, I still think the shelters at the moment aren't super full, but I think maybe now it has been, you know, two years post, you know, the apocalypse and people mm-hmm. are like, I think three quarters of my friends are going to Europe. So, yeah, that's where the board, um, the 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 dog yeah. walking, the pet yeah. sitting, the dog mining is all totally. starting to ramp up again, and maybe dog training will kind of be a little bit down because we have to reserve our money, you, you know, things like that. So it's cool that you've covered all your bases and that you're being super successful with it. I really um really like to hear that. It's really cool. Um, tell you mentioned PSA before. I know what PSA is, and Luke does as well, but most listeners probably don't know. Tell us about PSA, what it is briefly, and then why do you do that with your dogs, and what's oh the what's the what's what interests you in it. Okay, I feel like I'm going to butcher this. Um, no, I, I, I mean, butcher I, it. I get this question a lot with like family members are like, what is this for? And I'm like, it's like a dog sport. And there's like protection and there's also obedience. 
<laughs> that's like as far as I get, basically. <laughs> um, so, uh, PSA is a dog sport. <laughs> and dogs bite people and listen to me. <laughs> so basically, there's an obedience, you know, routine in the level one. Um, and then there's, I'm really not good at explaining okay, well, sport, well, but anyway. It's prote- it's what does it stand for? Protection? Protection Sports Association. Yeah. So look, basically. Which I find is a weird name for a sport, but yeah. Well, look, I think the turn the biting into a sport, basically. Right? Look, I yeah, think it's, it's like police dog work in sport. But like, I think the difference again, I'm going to butcher it too. Cause like I'm not in, involved, <laughs> but um, the difference would be like the other traditional sports, dog sports where the dog has to do advanced obedience protection and um, usually tracking or some, something else of those lines where the dogs had like a functional real life job. Like dogs had to actually do something. So police, military, security, the dogs mm-hmm. had a function. Um, most of the people that we see dogs just have dogs just to fill a void in their life and so that we can have companionship and feel good. But most dogs originally came from doing work. And then they had sport, a sport element to their training to be able to, like, you know, um, give credentials to dogs and the dogs qualified to be able to do certain things. And then we breed with this dog, we work this dog, we learn techniques so that they can be proper functional, um, you know, dogs out in the field. And But then I think maybe... A lot of the traditional ones stayed very regimented, very rigid. And what I hear and learnt from PSA is that it's probably a little bit more open, maybe a bit more. So maybe, uh, again, I don't know about um, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm level one, but from what I hear, like from the canon paradigm and they talk about is like level three is like anything can happen. There's a criteria that needs to be met. And out of nowhere, your dog may get a a bucket of water emptied on his head while he's trying to bite a decoy or and a decoy (laughs) is a guy that's wearing a big suit that the dog can bite. No one gets hurt. Dog doesn't get hurt. Um, the dog likes the game. It's, a, it's equivalent of saying, I go to jujitsu and I snap my arm and you'd say, oh my God. And it's like, look, bad things happen, but jujitsu means that you may get hurt or, you know, mm-hmm. soccer players yeah, always. Sport. Exactly. They bust totally. their ACLs and football players, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. So it's, sure. we have a certain yeah. type of dog that can do this sort of job um, on yeah. a daily basis because it's fun. We get to give the dog some sort of level of, um, biological fulfillment, but then also there's like there's a function at the end of it. It's not like just a fun game that we do. It's like there's there's a criteria to be met. So that's my understanding. Yeah, of so, yeah, I think that was good. That was a really good like way to explain doctor to someone who wouldn't know like how it how it would be. So I mean, I can go into like I guess a little bit of detail, but basically there's there's four levels. There's really three, and then there's like a pre-search basically that you have to pass um, to move on to the competition levels. Uh, the PSA one, there is like a, a routine, an obedience routine, um, which, you know, involves healing, you know, down in motion, like recalls, et cetera, along down with uh, like food nearby and stuff like that. There's a decoy on the field as well in a chair. So your dog can't bite them, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Won't bite them. And uh, then you once you pass, you have to pass with a 75 uh, out of 100 points. And you're scored on everything. Obviously, like everything is broken down into points. And then you pass, you move on to your protection phase. And then your protection phase has four scenarios. And there's a carjacking, which is the first scenario. So what we call a civil scenario. So the, the sleeve is hidden. So basically you're in the car, your dog's alerting on this, this bad guy who approaches the car. Uh, and then uh, the dog basically has to stop the attack. Um, and, you know, you have to demonstrate, obviously, you know, a good, like, defense and then good obedience after because you have to then like out off of the, the bad guy's arm uh call your dog out of the car and then you're moving on to your next scenario which is another basically attack on handler uh so again your dog has to come to your defense and then everything's scored 
you know, like your healing is scored, your the, the entry is scored, the grip is scored, uh, the out and disengage, all that is scored. And then you move on to your third scenario, which is a courage test. So basically the decoy is going to be like running full speed towards your dog. They're going to throw a bag, uh, like an obstacle in front of the dog, like across their path. And the dog has to engage and bite and hold on and do all that good stuff. Um, and then you have a surprise scenario. And this is where a PSA is unique. Uh, in the level one, there are five set scenarios and the judge will basically like pick on the day of, um, and I mean, again, they're just sort of combinations of things, just like multiple decoys, one decoy, you know, there's like jump, there's different, different scenarios that you can, uh, that you'll have to be prepared for. Um, and you have to pass the PSA one twice in order to earn your title. So, you know, of those five scenarios, you might never see three of them, or, you know, you might only ever see one of them. Maybe you still need to train for it. Mm. Yeah. You got to train for all five, right? You have to have all the components. And that's what's really cool about PSA is it's very much like a generalized sport. Your dog really has to understand stuff in so many different contexts. And that's what I love about it. It makes it and fun. And not just it following the motions, fun. right? Exactly. Like you just have to be so prepared. And then when you move on to the level two, there is still a bit of a routine. Like there is still an obedience like pattern, I guess you would call it. But it involves much more like utilitarian things. So there's jumps, there's a retrieve, there's still healing. But now you have two decoys on the field that are like lightly agitating you. There's a food refusal, recalls, down in motions, all this stuff. And again, you have to pass with a certain score to move on to the next uh, to protection. And then again, you have uh, laid out scenarios. Um, you know, there's a call off, which is basically the dog's like running downfield. You have, you have basically the same picture happens twice. And you flip a coin to determine which one is going to happen first, whether you're going to call your dog off before he bites or if you're going to send him straight for the bite. And so, you know, there's obviously pros and cons to which one you get first, either one. So you send your dog downfield, they bite, you recall them back. And then the picture is set up exactly the same. You send your dog downfield and you have to call them off before he bites. And there's different cones where you can like get a certain number of points. And everything in the level two is very much like, it's kind of like a trap. It's like bait. It's like a balancing act between like your dog anticipating um, versus, you know, like maybe not succeeding. So like, it, it's all about that, like balance. Um, and then there is still a surprise scenario as well. So there's, uh, I think there's four protection scenarios and then there's a surprise scenario. Um, and the surprise scenario can be basically anything. Uh, there's, there's, there's guidelines to it. Like there could be water as a distraction. Um, oh my God, I feel brain dead. There's, there's so many different things that it could be. Uh, and the judge basically can like piece together a scenario and usually they try to do some sort of little storyline, you know, like, oh, we're picking the kids up from school or whatever. And the decoys are the kids and you have to like drive them around in a cart and then your dog has to not bite until they're told to. Right. Mm. Different things like that. And every judge has their thing that they like. Like some judges really like, you know, hard stays where the dog must like stay while there's a lot of action going on. Right. Some judges might like more obstacle-y things or environmental pressures. Um, so there's this like list in the book, in the rule book and you, the judge literally just can make it up and then they score it accordingly. And then the level three, anything goes. Mm. <laughs> so again, there's, there's, it has to be based on these things, but it's very much like anything. There could like be a real life situation. Things. Yeah. It can just be, it can be really just anything. There's so many different things, but again, you have to, you have to touch on certain aspects, you know, like you still have to cover like your healing and your you know, environmental pressure and, and different things like that, but uh, there it can be really creative. And so like when you're trialing those levels, like you're expecting to fail more than you're expecting to pass. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's only, I think we're at 33 who have gotten the level three, 33 dogs, uh, or sorry. Yeah. Dogs, um, 31 or 33, something like that. So not very many in 20 years of the sport. Um, it's, it's just, it's a pretty crazy sport. You know, you really have to have the right dog and then the right handling and you have to tie those things together. Um, okay. What came for you first, Emma, the desire to have a Malinois or the desire to do PSA? So I actually, um, well, I had a darn schnauzer first that I was like, I didn't get the darn schnauzer to do PSA, but I got them both. Like I got interested in PSA at the same time that I got this giant schnauzer puppy. Uh, and I got into PSA from like Pat and Glenn on the podcast. That's how I heard about it and learned about it. Um, and so in, it was funny though, actually, cause in 2019, I believe it was, I, or 2018 and then also 2019, I went to Pat Stewart workshop and then I had, I brought him here and, uh, at the time I wasn't into biowork. So like whenever he'd like talk about biowork, I was just like, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> like not even like on my radar. Right. And then like literally a couple months later, it's just like all I can think about all I want to talk about. Um, so got interested in PSA was getting this giant schnauzer puppy that had been like in the works for years, basically that like my husband wanted, um, who was not, again, not intended to be like a bite sport prospect at all. But I was like, oh, well, I'll play around. Like, I'll get into bite sports and just, like, learn with him. Um, and that was, you know, almost three years ago. Well, I got him, you know, two and a half years ago. And I was actually started at this IGP club that uh, the training director there, he had giant schnauzers and he was doing IGP with them. So it was actually perfect. He lived really close by, too. Um, but it just wasn't a good fit. Like, the training was bad. Um, personalities weren't meshing. Uh, and so me and my, uh, at the time, like, he worked for me, one of my, well, my decoy. Um, we started our own club. So we started our PSA club at the exact same time that I got my Malinois. My Malinois just like fell into my lap, very start of COVID. Um, someone messaged me on Instagram and was like, hey, do you know anyone who wants Malinois? And literally, this is like March 2020, like everything's shut down. <laughs> like my business is shut down. Can't do anything. I'm literally locked in my house. And I was like, yeah, I'll take a Malinois and like train it and timing, get it, yeah. right, like, sell it, whatever. I was like, totally. I'm bored as fuck. So I was like, yeah, I'll take him. So I got him and he was like a dream. Like this dog is a dream. Like he's so drivey. Like it's crazy. He's super intense, but super sweet. And he's just like so stable. Like, He's amazing. It's crazy. What's his name? So I kept him. His name is Riggins. Riggins? Riggins. Like Tim Riggins from Friday Night Lights. Okay. Cool. (laughs) Or Riggs. We call him Riggs. Riggs, Riggy. Big Riggs. His name was Chester. That was his name. Chester. Chester the Malinois. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I like Riggs. Riggs is good. Yeah, we got rid of that. Big Uh, Riggs. I like it. So I kept him. He's just, honestly, he's the best dog ever. It's crazy. And so, like, we started our PSA club. I got this Malinois. Like, it was just, that's what it was. We were learning. We didn't know anything. We didn't know what we were doing uh, at all. And so it was COVID, too. So we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't go to any seminars. We couldn't bring anyone to have seminars. Because we had uh, Sean Edwards um, scheduled to come uh, do a camp, like a decoy camp and stuff with us. But then COVID happened. So that all got shut down. And so... uh yeah, it was just learning about the sport. It was just crazy. Um, and my dog, he definitely needs to bite. The Schnauzer also continued uh, on the journey. He just got his PDC sleeve division this June. And my Malinois, we closed at our level one. Uh, 
and I'm going to do my PDC suit with my schnauzer as well. He's, um, he's really into it. He's just, you know, he's not, he's a schnauzer. He's not a Malinois. So, <laughs> For sure. but because I have the Mali, I can just like play around with him and have fun. He likes it. So I, I know what you mean pressure. about like, Oh, you know, they're talking about bite sports and I'm just not going to listen. La 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 la. Like there's no connection <laughs> to it. But then when you look at it, you're like, Oh my God. Well, there was a few things that I saw cause I still haven't gotten involved in bite sports. Um, for a few reasons, first of all, like um, just my general interests, I haven't really been fully super drawn to it, but also you need the right dog, um, you need the time, but also for us to go anywhere remote, like we want to do Glenn and Pat's PSA club, mad excuse, but it's like almost an hour drive away, um, which again. That's it? An hour? Yeah, okay, cool. So that's it. All right. <laughs> Most people, people drive, drive big, 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 big time. Oh, yeah, right. two hours, whatever. But you know, trying to balance that out with life and keep your sanity and you're busy, yeah, blah, blah, I'm whatever. Right. You. As sure. I said, for if sure. I had so the, <laughs> if I had a huge, huge drive for it, I would most definitely do it. So I'm just honoring the fact that this is how I feel about it. Right. Not that I'm not interested right. in it. I would love to, but for whatever reason. And and again, for me, and this is that I know that the sport isn't like when you go to PSA, you're not doing work. You're going and doing your hobby. You're doing the thing that you love to do. For, for me personally, I want that time to be reserved for a, a different sort of thing just to keep my sanity. So, like, I'd probably go yeah. to martial arts training, okay. do the hour and a half there just so I can keep myself leveled. Otherwise, it would just be dogs all day, every day, forever, and I, yeah. I don't want to be resenting totally. nobody, but also for whatever yeah. reason. So, um, but the reason why I ask about it is because people listening probably have no idea what the hell we're talking about, but, the, but now hopefully you understand because you broke it down pretty nicely is that, all right, so we want to teach your dog to have a job. So give your dog a job, loosely walking, obedience training, you know, structure and, you know, following all the things, you know, your dog likes a ball, cool, make him work for it. And essentially when you make a dog play tug is essentially like when that dog bites a dog, the, the decoy sleeve mm-hmm. at first, it's very prey drive. The dog wants to do it. Mm-hmm. Then over time you add the layers of defense and the dog now starts playing a game that is a bit more serious, but not life-threatening where like, oh my God, I'm showing aggression, but I... Uh, but I'm showing this level of playing the game. But on top of that, you need to have the impulse control to say, hey, I need you to come back to me now and lay down. I know you're doing mm-hmm. the most funnest mm-hmm. thing in the world. Now you've got to come back mm-hmm. to me. It's all good. Um, you're not going to, I'm assuming, you're not going to make your dog a civil dog. You're not going to walk the streets and make him bite people for real. You're doing it because you're still playing the sport. But the reason for doing it, I could assume, is a few reasons. Number one is you got to give your dog what it is that, he biologically was built for and also gives him the most ultimate fulfillment. Um, it also probably because you love doing it. So you, it's like, why wouldn't I be around people that love to do this too? But I'm sure it makes you a 10,000 times better dog trainer because you can get your dogs to do very difficult things at the high stakes. Then you can do two things. You can either mm-hmm. give people tips and skills so that they can fulfill their dog by kind of using the same concepts, but just not doing the exact same thing. Like you're not putting a sleeve on and making the dog bite, but hey, this is how you play tug with your dog and doing this for seven minutes drains your dog out and then go for a walk after or do that in the middle of the walk. Hey, you can live a good life with your dog. And then also um, it gives you the, for me, and this is where I, well, this is years ago, I had this realization where I'd go to all the different decoys workshops, all the bite sports, and I'm watching thinking, Wow, the moment you increase that dog's drive, I bring it down so they can be leveled, like for the everyday mm-hmm. person. So the moment you're gone, mm-hmm. bring it on, I'll be like, hey, bring mm-hmm. it back, settle here. But you got to know mm-hmm. those moments of when to turn it on and when to turn it off. So I think as a trainer, mm-hmm. I benefited watching people work there to be like, oh, I like how he motivated the dog there. And right. he's like, oh, that's opposite. Again, years ago when I wasn't as knowledgeable totally. as I know now, I'm like, oh, I probably would have 
again, if I was assessing, I go comparing, it's like I probably would have told the dog no there, but that's where they told the dog yes. But then most yeah, yeah. everyday people, Jane down the road has a German Shepherd and he's acting like that to the dog. <laughs> that's a bad thing. But he will go yeah, into that same yeah. process. There's a dog there, whoop, boom, and the dog reacts. Where in that moment, it's like, hey, reading body language and understanding context of the situation, bring it back here, settle down, calm it down. So it's not very dissimilar. It's just you got to look at it from a different perspective. And I think totally. that's our trainer. Yeah. Benefit. I find since I started, like, I'm relating so much more, like I'll relate to it more. Like when I'm explaining something to even my apprentices, I'm always like, oh, well in PSA, we're doing that because I just find it so clear. Yeah. And like with the, um, like I had a client uh, who has dog had like reactivity and she also does um, fight sports with her other dog. Well, she does it with both, but anyway, she had, you know, she, I met her through her first dog who was like this crazy, um, he's a lab Malinois. And I know you're probably listening, Chantal, hi. <laughs> so um, a lab Malinois mix. And he was like psycho, but in like a loving way, like not aggressive at all, not a mean bone in his body. Crazy, crazy, crazy dog. And that's how I met her. And she, you know, does PSA with him. She has her PDC working towards her one. She's got 90 in obedience at her level one. And uh, then her other dog, her younger dog was a Malinois. He was dealing with a lot of reactivity from like a young age, like very... Um, like just genetically like more reactive to like dogs and people and she was kind of like I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do it like do this like ever get him out of it and I was like listen if you can make this dog ignore a decoy on the field it's the same thing yeah you're literally doing the same thing it's just building that neutrality right you're just like using motivation to build the neutrality to whatever the the, the trigger is or whatever the thing is that the dog wants or doesn't want right um the mental state, you know, is obviously different, but it's all the same. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And so I find that, you know, I can, you do, you understand things so much better. Even aggression, like even just handling dogs, holy cow, like so much better, so much stronger at it. Like, and I can help like relate that to people more. I can like, you know, coach them through it more. Um, and I do a lot more hands-off training now too. When I was newer training, like, you know, it's really common for the trainer to like take the dog and be like, Oh, I'm going to train the dog. Mm -hmm. Like I'm good at it. And I can like do it and make the dog do the thing. But like the owner is the one who has to train the dog when you're gone. So, and I, I started getting more into that too. And I started taking clients that maybe had dogs that were a little more sketchy where I was like, okay, I'm going to be over here. You're over there. And I'm going to walk you through this. Yes. Process. Good work. Hands off train. And like being a training director of a PSA club, like you have to do that a lot. Like, you can still, sometimes I'll still take the dog and just be like, okay, I need to like feel this out. Right. But for the most part, you're coaching people from yeah. afar. Um, and so I find that's really helpful for training client dogs, dealing with whatever regu regular everyday pet stuff. And then training our apprentices is like, this is how you have to relate to the client. And this is what you have to do. It's not just about training the dog. Like you have to learn how to train the people and like all this stuff that's going to come up and like defensive handling. Like mm -hmm. that's a huge thing. People don't know how to do it. Like whenever people get bit, for the most part, I'm just it's like, well, ah, that's kind of on you. Yep. It's on you. You know, like you put too much pressure, you didn't know what you were doing, or you didn't handle the situation properly. Um, because like I don't get bit and I'm not, I'm not dealing with crazy, crazy dogs, but generally speaking, like I can be very hands-off um and get what I need, you know. And I think that's where I learned a lot. Sorry. You know, when I was twenty one starting this, it was like well, you get bitten because that's how what's what happens. You get bitten. Bitten getting bitten is part of the job. And yeah, give me yeah. that dog, let him bite me. He won't figure it. He figured it doesn't work. And we go through the process. And when you have that sort of like hard headedness, 
it can work. The dog bites you and you're like, oh, well, it didn't work. So come on. And we're not going to be over like the dog bites you and you punish the shit out of him. He bites you. You're like, ah, oh, not allowed to do that. Come on, let's keep walking. Yeah. Like, oh, this uh-huh. is what are we doing? Why didn't that work? But being bitten, number one, is bad because what if it didn't go that way? Now the dog got reinforced for biting you. Um, now you have holes in your hand. You're bleeding. You're hurt. Um, I've been badly infected, been in hospital for a week and, you know, drips oh, and this damn. and that because- that um, infection almost went into the um, pass the cartilage yeah. into my blood, right? So the the dangers of it are worse. But then also, what have you got to prove? Yeah, maybe I can admit when I was 21, um, starting this out, I knew more than what the person that hired me um, knew. So then there's like maybe a sense of ego and whatever. But also mm-hmm. one thing you learn is, well, like, so for example, just just the other day, I went to readjust the collar a little bit and I had forgotten the dog was a little bit dodgy with being mm-hmm. grabbed by the collar. Um and as soon as I went, I was like, boom, it was a real light bite, nothing hard at all. But then, look, it happened. But yeah, because yeah. I had been bitten so much in the past, I'm like, oh, you bit me, it doesn't matter. Come on, let's go, knock it off, let's walk. And mm-hmm. it was like okay. nothing happened. And and and, yeah. and the initial reaction was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry it happened. I'm like, hey, like, if I got bitten, it's because I made myself get bitten because mm-hmm. it's it's part of the territory to to, to learn. But it's better because, see, with that same mindset to continue is that if I then go, look, I'll show you what to do. But then that doesn't improve the person handling the dog's job at all. Actually, exactly. in fact, I just took it away from them. So it may take yeah. longer to go, no, no, I know it's frustrating. Turn around. Come on, approach it again. Work with mm-hmm. it. Ah, there it is. That's what you got. Seventh rep- repetition and you got it. We'll finish there. That was awesome. Try that again um, when it's mm-hmm. next time to do it rather than going, you see what I just did? All right, do that. No, yeah. like, what, what am I yeah, exactly. Do? do that. Move your hand like this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's cool, man. I really love that. Hey, we should um wrap up. I've got a child with a fever and a bug guy coming to fix oh, our no. fever and all this sort of stuff. So I've got to go. And I know Luke's got a whole day of work and you should probably like get some dinner and go to bed. So um, hey, this is really, really fun. Um, and we should definitely do it again because there's other questions I wanted to hit you up with. But um, that was really insightful sure. and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to um find a lot of benefit in what you said, whether you're a trainer or not a trainer, because um, as I said, you you do it from what I can see and from what you said, you do an awesome job. You're killing it. Um, I love that your ambition came into reality um, and it kind of shows that we can manifest what we want when you, um, I heard this yesterday, when you put the thought, word and deed together is how we can make things happen. And, um, and everyone wishes that they could make everything happen without doing anything. And most people do heaps of stuff and have no vision. Um, I guess you show that you can make things happen and, and you're doing a good job. I like what you're doing. Um, keep it up. And um, thanks for coming on the show. Eh? Thank you so much. I'd love to come back anytime. Where can the, where can the people find you, Emma? So I have a few different Instagram accounts. Um, so Walk With Me Ottawa is my main business Instagram. I'm not super active there currently. All of our team has their own like Walk With Me Instagram accounts too. So you can just like look that up if you're interested. Uh, not Your Standard Schnauzers is my main account that I post most of my like bite work stuff and my own personal blog. And I also have Frostbite WDC, which stands for Working Dog Club. That's our, our fight club page. Um, and I'm like super open. So if people ever want to message me, I'm very responsive, very uh, approachable, I guess is the word. I don't know. I love talking to people. So if anyone wants to talk to me about anything, I'm open. Uh, we do also do like business consults and stuff like that. So if anyone wants to do a virtual business consult, uh, we do do that or virtual training, like anything like that, we're open. Um, and like, we also have our apprenticeship program. So you can find more on our website, which is www.walkwithmeottawa.com. Uh, we're on Facebook too. We're everywhere. I'm very easy to find. 
So. Love it. I, w- I was following your walk with me, Ottawa, and now that you've just said that's not like your active one, and I I wasn't following the other two, but now I am. <laughs> oh, all right. There you go. Yeah, not your standard challenge. This is where I'm I'm mostly now, just because people on my business page I don't think wanted all my like personal stuff all the time. So anyway, I'm going to follow them too. But... Okay, great. Because <laughs> I was following Walk with Me Ottawa too, but now, and I was looking around and um when I before we had our podcast to um kind of get a little bit more info about you, but um, I love that you got everything spaced out so that if you have a general interest, you can find one here and find one there. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. I think people were just tired of seeing like everything in the one or whatever. So anyway, I spread it out. Hopefully, hopefully it makes the people happy. Uh, why have one Instagram <laughs> when you can have three? Exactly. You can have three. I know. It's not a dog Instagram, by the way. It's not like my dog talking. I don't do that. It's me on there sharing about my life with my dog. So cool. anyway. All the best. Yeah. That was the best way to finish it. Life with my dog. You gave us a plug too. Life with my dog. I know. The best. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life with Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life with Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at np underscore dog underscore training, my website npdogtraining.com or my YouTube channel Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening guys, my name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, .com.au. I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna Canine Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.